You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Monday the 6th of February. Absolutely beautiful morning here in TW11. Chilly though, and weather is going to play its part, I would imagine, during the course of the week. More to follow during the course of the show. Particularly interesting interview with Keith Otterson from Newbury, who are going to be quite compromised this week by being unable to use a watering system. But of course, we're basking in the sunny, frosty glow of the Dublin Racing Festival. Two spectacular days racing, great crowds as well. Over 18,000 Saturday, over 15,000 yesterday. There was a genuine buzz about the place. Been racing on three continents in the course of the last week. And quite honestly, uh, Dublin was a, a really a, a high bar set in terms of atmosphere and competitiveness of sport, even though it was dominated by one man, and we knew it would be, that man Willie Mullins, but it was a weekend where even he had to expect the unexpected eclipses of Lossy Mouth, of Blue Lord at short odds, of Facile Vega, but he himself, the beneficiary, amazingly, of all those defeats, with second or in some cases third strings in those races. So much to unpack and unpick and digest and chew over, and the big story yesterday, again, was not a horse who won, state man in the Irish champion hurdle, but a horse who was defeated, Honeysuckle. Again, she she didn't have the same zip, the same verve, the same energy, the same speed over her hurdles, even though she used all her courage and gameness to plug on to, into second. It never looked as though she would beat state man. A little later on, you'll be hearing from Nicky Henderson. What impact has this had on him? Does he think state man's a realistic challenger to Constitution Hill? How close can he get to him? And more to the point, what does this mean for Epatant? And you'll hear him explain later in the programme the way he is now definitively leaning as regards Cheltenham. The baton is handed over then. The important news this morning is there's no news. When we left Leopardstown last night, I was fully expecting a decision that Honeysuckle would be retired to come through to us this morning. But I've been on to Peter Maloney. And he says that no decision is going to be made for a few days yet. They need to just think about it a little bit more. The, the, the point that Kenny Alexander, the owner, made yesterday was that she would almost certainly not go for the champion hurdle come what may. And if she did go to Cheltenham, it would be for the mayor's hurdle. And that seemed to be what Henry de Bromhead agreed. But I think we were thinking that she would, she would be retired. Um, it hasn't been announced yet, and it might not be announced for a few days, as I welcome uh, David Yates into the programme today. I spoke like you did quite late in the afternoon to Peter Maloney after the the Irish champion hurdle. And without giving away um, too many uh, trade secrets, he said, I, I, I think that we've done all our thinking now. Um, but I, I, I suspect that they needed to uh, tie up a few things last night before they um, they confirmed that Honeysucker had run her last race. But certainly speaking to... Uh, Peter Maloney last night, also speaking to Kenny Alexander immediately after the race, as you did. Um, I, I think that uh, I'd be extremely surprised if we saw her at Cheltenham or if we indeed saw her on a race course again. It was evident, I thought, that Henry de Bromhead was was 
almost playing for time to say let's let's just give it a day and see where we are. I use the quotes from Ken Alexander in this morning's mirror because he he said maybe the time has come. Um and he said that whilst they were prepared to look past one defeat, you know, that there were there were plenty of opinions uh, to uh, that would express that that run the the first career defeat uh, behind Chiapu in the Hatton's Grace wasn't as uh, uh, as bad as it seemed. That it was a perfectly respectable run on the figures. Henry de Brom had certainly um, espoused that view to me on on Saturday, but then. Kenny Alexander said, yeah, that's one, but this is two. And, you know, she was beaten fair and square uh, by state man. He said, I don't think she's as good as she was. Uh, He said, we won't be fannying around for place money in uh, the champion hurdle behind Constitution Hill. Dave, the baton has been passed in terms of the most prominent Irish two-mile hurdler from Honeysuckle. It seems seamlessly to state man who was um, very professional, very impressive yesterday. I'm not really quite sure, A, what he achieved, if we're to take the line that Honeysuckle is now underachieving somewhat. I'm not sure what he achieved, particularly, but equally, not sure what he's capable of beyond that. And the answer could be quite a lot. Does he pose any threat to Constitution Hill, do you think? Oh, he, he certainly poses a, a threat to Constitution Hill. Um, I, I think that the my, my own personal view is that the the betting at around threes on for Constitution Hill and threes against for State Man. I, I, I think that that is uh, you know I, 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 don't, I don't think that that reflects the two horses' chances in the Champion Hurdle. If you put a gun to my head and said which horse do you think will win, I'd say yeah, I think Constitution Hill will win. But there's there's absolutely no doubt that. Um, state man poses a threat i think that people so, so who watch on, that, let, yes. let me let me just clarify this you think he poses a bigger threat to constitution hill than the bookmakers believe yes i do yeah yeah i i, I think that uh I, I think it'll be closer between the pair of them um i think that this horse still has uh, a massive upside as probably does constitution hill um willie mullin said afterwards yesterday that um he, he was apt to stress that uh this horse is still learning he said he liked the way that he jumped uh, his hurdles. He was he was pleased with Paul Townend's effort, and we might reflect uh, on his criticism of Paul Townend during the weekend uh, in a few moments' time. But he was very pleased with that effort. He said that uh, Paul got him to jump his hurdles, which is what a champion hurdler needs to do, i.e. slickly and, and spend as little time in the air um, as possible. And he, he was asked how does he compare with your champion hurdle horses of the past? And rather than ducking the question, he said he's 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 certainly up there with them and he's got more to come. So, yeah, I, I think that um, that it, it'll be closer between the pair. I, I think that Constitution Hill is an exceptional horse, but there's no doubt that State Man is, you know, look at, look at where he's come over uh, the last 12 months. He was the winner of the county hurdle at Cheltenham uh, last March. And now he's on what? A, a, is it a sequence of, of six victories? And uh, there's there's definitely more to come from this horse. So, yeah, I, I think he's a, a bigger threat than the market might have you believe. I wonder what Nicky Henderson made of it all, because he said events in Ireland would perhaps um, affect his decision as to where to run, obviously not Constitution Hill, but Epatant in particular, and perhaps one or two others, at the Cheltenham Festival. He was uh, he was watching on from home, and this is what he made of it all. 
Well, my party, I mean, the, the reaction to the mayor's hurdle, we're quite, I mean, it depends which way um, Epiton goes. She's in the champion hurdle and in all intents and purposes, she's in the mayor's hurdle. Um, although she has to be supplemented, that's probably, you might well be leaning that way. I don't know, I spoke to JP over the weekend or before the weekend. We know she can't sort of beat Constitution Hill on what we've seen so far this year, so she'll probably run in the mayor's too. So there's the change. If, if only Suckle goes that way, well, we'll bump into her probably wherever she goes. It was sad to see her beaten, but I mean, I think the winner is a very good horse. We were second to him in the county hurdle last mm. year with First Street. I don't say he's the only danger, but he's the most obvious one. There's no doubt about that. And I'm sure he's a very big danger too. He seems to be improving, certainly, and, and hey, he was very professional. It's, it's hard to gauge the race because it's hard to gauge Honeysuckle, really. Um, I mean, she did only finish a couple of lengths in front of the third and the fourth. Whereas you might have said two years ago she'd have finished ten lengths in front of them. Yeah. So which honeysuckle was, you know, were they beating yesterday? I, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. All I know is we've got a serious threat. If so, if you're leaning towards the mayors with with Epiton and you run Marie's Rock as well, do you have a clear view in your own mind who would be your first string or not? No, and luckily I don't need to. <laughs> I mean, they, they both come out of that. You know, they were. Everton was was great to watch the other day, and she, you know, it shows what Constitution Hill's been beating. Um, no mug. <laughs> um, so you know, you take some strength out of that, um, or some confidence out of that. Sure. And I, th- I think she'd be very competitive. She proved she stays two and a half miles when she went to. Um, entry last year. Either way, which, whichever race she runs in, she's going to be competitive, which probably won't be constitutional. Yeah, Nicky, in a minute, I'm going to talk to Keith Otterson, Clark of the Course at Newbury. Looks like they're having problems getting water on the track this weekend. That's going to be a bit of a worry, isn't it, as far as what you're going to send there or not? I, I was tempted to put John Bond in the, in, in the game spirit as well. Um, to be honest, I've done it. We did it with Altior as well, but um, I don't suppose it would bother really because he's not going to run on a going report that's mentioning good to firm. Um, he won't mind good ground. I haven't had a chance to speak to Warwick yet this morning, um, but I, I would think we're going to we will stick to Warwick. Because Newbury is, you know, it, it is going to be a worry. I mean, Keith, you know, very kindly sort of gave us all a, a good, clear warning and plenty of notice, so we know what to do. And I have got two or three horses that I was hoping to run at Newbury the weekend that might have to go, you know, might have to give it a skip. Yeah, would would which j- would be should be very disappointing because it's a big weekend. Where are we at with Shishkin? Where are we at? We are planning on going to Ascot on fortnight Saturday week okay. for the two mile five. That's the plan. I was thinking of putting him in at, at, at Newbury. He's in very good form. His work's been good. He's schooled great, and I'm, I'm you know, looking forward to it. Well, I think that then, um, Dave Yates is is a, a, a the first really definitive steer that that the mayor's hurdle is the favoured option. For, for Epaton, former champion hurdler, 
herself and an excellent runner-up in it a couple of times, very good last weekend, but Henderson knows what, what task faces her. Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, she needs to be supplemented for the Mayor's Hurdle Epiton. He said in the week, Nicky Henderson, that events at Leopardstown on Sunday would inform his choice. And I don't think that's a massive surprise. I, I think it's clear now that State Man is the, the main threat to Constitution Hill. And uh, as a result, the, the idea of running Epitant in that race, they've certainly got, it goes without saying that they've got a better chance of winning the, the Mayor's Hurdle. And when just there were there were lots of things going on yesterday but someone in the press room did say i wonder what that means for epitant and i think most people had their heads in their laptops but i think if i had made a response to it at the time i would have said yeah probably she'll probably go for the mayors all right henderson also they're talking about john bond his most potent opposition in the article is going to be el fabiolo judged on what he achieved over the weekend uh, he was ridden by daryl jacob and this is what he had to say about the horse's performance there wasn't a lot between them um, at Aintree uh, last year. Um, look, at I think El Fabiolo has improved, um, but so is John Bond. So I think it's going to be uh, a mouth-watering clash. And uh, look, at it's great to see some some top-class horses go, going head-to-head like what they did over in Dublin uh, the last couple of days. And like you say, it's, you know, probably few the results have changed over there's been different things but um you know i think we're, we're hugely excited about what um el, el fabiolo is gonna achieve in, in in his career and like you say he's a relatively unexposed and and relatively he's a very lightly raced horse so a very good traveler um he's a very good traveler he's got a big stride um and i think with the more experience he's going to get i mean i thought he's a, he's obviously improved an awful lot from uh, from Ferrios to Leopardstown and hopefully he can keep progressing because like you say he's got low mileage on the clock you know I get to sit on these horses an awful lot at home and uh, you know I knew the horses had improved an awful lot from last year and uh, you know to get the opportunity to, to sit on him on Saturday um, was hugely exciting and uh, you know he, he felt as good during the race as what I thought he felt at home so um, you know and it just throws himself right into to, to, to the article picture at, uh, at Cheltenham and uh, look it's, he's just a very very exciting horse for the future and are you quite happy playing that kind of first jockey role in the in the UK and then riding when you can when, when Paul doesn't want to ride those horses in, in Ireland that kind of dual role Look, we've got huge amount of horses um, everywhere. So, um, unfortunately, look, I can't be everywhere at, at the one at the one time. And uh, like you say, we've just got a very, very um, exciting bunch of horses. And uh, you know, whenever you get the opportunity to get out of bed at, at five o'clock or six o'clock in the morning to sit on some some really nice horses, um, you know, it's it's what you look forward to every day. Daryl Jacob, there, Dave Yates. What did you make of El Fabiolo, and can he put it up to John Bond? I've rarely seen Daryl Jacob um, so joyous coming back uh, to a winner's enclosure. He was really impressed by that. In the end, of course, El Fabiolo scored by 10 lengths. If you watch the race, Bambridge finishes strongly just to uh, deny, appreciate it. The silver medal, Dysart Dynamo in third. So it was a, in, in this case, it was a, a Mullins 1-3-4. Um, but yeah, he was. I thought he was really impressive. The way that he came away uh, in the closing stages. He did make one jumping error, so maybe there's a little bit of polish still to be applied with his fencing, but he's only had, uh, what, the two starts over the larger obstacles. So 
I thought that he was impressive. I thought Mighty Potter too for Gordon Elliott. Um, and he will go for the Turners and obviously Chase. He's a um, a strong favourite for that at around six to four. Uh, so, yeah, it's... it's of of all those stellar performances, I think we can mention the eight grade ones and, of course, fun, fun, fun in the bumper. It's arguably the two novice chasers in a in a uh, an equine sense that were possibly top of the pile. Uh, and that reckons without Galapande Sean, who galloped strongly to the line in the Irish Gold Cup. What do you think he achieved? Yeah, this was a difficult one. I, I think that um there there were so many superlatives thrown around on social media after this and okay people say well come on you can't you know you you can't trust social media to be a a trusty barometer and that of course is true um i thought people got a bit carried away it was interesting that a couple of firms actually pushed galopin des out uh for the Cheltenham Gold Cup as a result of what happened on Saturday and a couple uh, shortened him. I think he was, he was, he was pushed into five to four, I think with Boyle sports. And I think Paddy power pushed him out to 13 to eight. So that gives you an idea that there wasn't unanimity uh, among the layers. And he was, he was getting the better clearly of a battle with fury road when that horse jumped markedly left at the final fence and then, faded out of it and eventually was overhauled by Statler. I, I thought he did what he needed to do. Uh, did I leave Leopardstown on Saturday evening thinking, right, well, at least we've seen the Cheltenham Gold Cup winner? Um, I'm not too sure. I thought he did what he had to do, but I didn't think that it was... I didn't think it had the wow factor. Fury Road's a 33-1 to shot for the Cheltenham Gold Cup. Nobody really thinks that he's going to win that race. Um, I shouldn't think even Gordon Elliott thinks that uh, he'll win that race. Clearly, um, a lot went uh, as expected in terms of number of winners for Willie Mullins and number of grade one successes as well. Some of the results, however, will have, have confounded even him. Blue Lord's eclipse at the hands of Gentle Demi being one of them. Um, but perhaps more pertinently for what we're about to discuss, Lossy Mouth being beaten by her own stable companion, Gala de Marceau. And yesterday, Facile Vega being completely shut out and the race going to his own stablemate, Ilet Eton, who was in turn quite impressive himself. Uh, Willie Mullins, for two of those rides, Lossy Mouth and Fasal Vega, appeared to lay, not the blame, but a significant responsibility at the, at the feet of Paul Townend. And he did it publicly and quite explicitly, Dave. What did you make of that? Yeah, he certainly did. He he was bristling after those uh, two rides. I, I'm going to... I. I I typed out the the quotes. I'll, I'll just read them out to you very quickly, Nick. This was after Lossie Mouth uh, had been beaten by Gala Mar. So I, I hope it doesn't leave its mark that she had such a hard race from the third last, he said. She put in a huge effort for a juvenile and that might just leave a mark. I'd have been happier if Paul had just used hands and heels when the writing was on the wall. What was the point in hitting her? And obviously I've, I've I've jazzed that up with a bit of uh, my, my acting skills, but the words are the same. Um, and then after the uh, defeat of Facil Vega, uh, he said the pace was wrong. Danny Mullins, nephew, of course, on the winner, Il Eteton, uh, had his fractions right. We'll have to ride him like he's a racehorse rather than a machine next time, because that's what Paul did today. He rode him like a machine again. The accent is mine, but the words are Mullins. Um, I think that this says a couple of things. Well, three things. Even Mullins gets tense in the build-up uh, to the, the big races in the spring. Um, it also tells us that 
even when Mullins loses, he wins. As you say, there were the Hot Pots, uh, Blue Lord, Facil Vega and Lossiemouth. They were all beaten. But does this give anyone else a look in? Does it hell? Mullins still won uh, those races. And it, what does it say about Danny Mullins? He left the Dublin Racing Festival with three grade one victories, all of them on lesser fancied stablemates from Clusutton. And I think that it's it's an interesting thing with Danny Mullins. Those of us who followed football in the 1980s will be very familiar with the career of Nigel Clough. Nigel Clough, of course, was the son of the great Brian Clough, and he happened to be at the same club, Nottingham Forest. And those of us who followed uh, the sport at that time, I think we all acknowledge that Brian Clough needed to see that um, Nigel was actually better than the other centre forwards in the Nottingham Forest squad before he agreed to 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 play him. There was no nepotism. He had to prove that he was at a higher level, not merely the same level than the others. There are lots of people who watch racing in Britain and Ireland who think that Danny Mullins is right up there uh, with the jump jockeys on either side of the Irish Sea. Is it stretching credibility to suggest that not only is Danny Mullins in the first team, but perhaps in the months and years that might follow, might he be the first name on the team sheet? We'll have to wait and see. All right. It wasn't just the Mullins show, whether it was Patrick, Danny or Willie over the weekend. Uh, there were other people who got in on the act. Who left the most notable impression on you, Dave? Well, there's no doubt that of all the humans and equines that we've mentioned and uh, I think that Barry Connell has to get the 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 human award, doesn't he? Leaving uh, the the race, leaving the the Dublin Racing Festival with the. I'll take a deep breath before I take the uh, give you the name of this uh, race because it's the longest race in in history. The Nathaniel Lacey and Partners Solicitors fifty thousand euro Cheltenham bonus for stable staff novices held Grade One. And um, Good Land won that for Barry Connell. Um, he now heads for the, the Ballymore hurdle. Of course, Barry Connell also trains uh, Marine Nacional. He's among uh, the in the front rank for the Supreme Novices betting after winning the Royal Bond hurdle. Um, Barry Connell is a, um, a former city boy who made his money in finance and then decided he wanted to own and ride horses he, he's he's ridden i think bumper a bumper winner at cheltenham um he was in the early days i think by the by the the, the amateur jockeys who were you know the, the the professionals they used to look askance at barry connell but look at what he's done now um he's training his own horses he's had two runners in grade one races this winter and he's won both of them with goodland and marine national not even willie mullins can say that Okay, just a reminder, and you'll remember this if you were with me a couple of times last week, that the Nick Luck Daily podcast is offering you a, a very rare opportunity to both get in to one of the leading stallions in the UK and make a significant donation to charity. Um, by the, the great kindness of Jane McGiven and Simon Sweeting, we have been given two stallion nominations. One to Ardad, who has made such an impression at stud as a sire not just of precocious fast brilliant royal ascot two-year-olds but also of one of last season's sprinting three-year-old stars the commonwealth cup winner 
perfect power. We're offering a nomination to him for auction. And he's filling up fast, so you've got to get in quick. And to Golden Horn. As a dual-purpose stallion, there can be no finer example than the Derby winner of 2015. Frankie Dottori nominates him jointly as one of the best horses he ever rode through his 35-year career. So there's a nomination to Ardad and a nomination to Golden Horn. He's filling up quite fast as well. And if you are successful, all the money, every single penny of the money, will go to two charities very close to my heart, uh, the Cystic Fibrosis Trust and the Royal Brompton and Harefield Trust charity in support of pioneering research being done into this life-limiting condition. I'd be incredibly grateful if you do have a mare to have a look. This could be your chance to get in to something quite special and to do something very special at the same time. And if you want to log on or just find out a little bit more, airauctioneer.com, A-I-R auctioneer.com forward slash nick-luck-charity-auction and I will be posting that link on my Twitter feed during the course of the day. Well, the dust belly settles on one amazing weekend of racing. We look forward to what I hope will be another. It's Newbury's big Saturday this weekend. It's Betfair Hurdle Day, the uh, Game Spirit Chase, the Denman Chase. Normally throws up plenty of Cheltenham clues. The, the clerk of the course, Keith Otterson, has um, been bowled a bit of a googly, not just by the weather, but by restrictions on watering. Keith, what, what's been the situation the last couple of days? Um, so yesterday we covered the track because the forecast is now for overnight frosts for the rest of the week. Um, however, it looks more, more than hopeful because the daytime temperatures are st- staying fairly positive. It's not like in, in January when we stayed in the sort of continental air. It was very cold and we, we had very low daytime temperatures and minus sixes, minus sevens. It looks as though we've minus two, minus three up to plus six, plus five or six for the next two to three days. And then there's a front coming through on Wednesday, which turns the air direction uh, from the Atlantic. So the Atlantic air is warmer um, and the daytime temperature is improving towards the end of the week. So just as a precaution, we thought we'd better cover the track anyway in those sort of cold places down the back straight, which don't get much sunshine at this time of year. Um, Hopefully the frost doesn't get in there. I don't think it's a massive threat, but we couldn't take that that risk and you never know how these things are going to develop. and I suppose the, the, the other fact you're alluding to is that uh, we've gone into this as good ground, sort of very good mid, uh, sort of good mid-winter ground, so it's uh, a bit tacky, sticky, dead, deadish sort of ground, as it's described. And there's no rainfall in the forecast for the week, and because of our... Um, irrigation or rather abstraction license restrictions um, during the winter months, we can't put any water on. So we, we, we'll be sort of deadish good ground at best. It might be good to farm in places, but it, it, it wouldn't be sort of quick, drier ground as it is at the beginning of the end of the season. So you basically you've used up all the water that you're allowed to use up in a certain period. Is that is that the way I understand it? No, not quite. Um, we, we're, we're close to our, our limit, our capacity for watering. But our, our license, the historic license at Newbury, is that only uh, allows us to abstract from the borehole from March the 1st to November the 30th. So for December, January and February, we cannot take water from the borehole. And the way our system works is the water goes directly from the borehole in, into the, um, it's pumped into the ring main around the course and then applied through the um, boom irrigators to the track. So we basically can't take any water out of the ground in these months. And it's a it's an environment agency um 
regulation and it's something you can't break it's simply it's simply you, you'd always be breaking the law and of course if you yeah I, I guess it's just so rare that you would ever want to water in in december and january that well in february that that um that it's probably never happened before yeah that, that that is the case but i mean even before um sort of sort of drought of, of, of last year and the, and the very high temperatures uh we've been putting a plan together to um look at different ways of sort of extending the periods we can irrigate for so that when we can't use our, our borehole at the moment uh if, if we build a reservoir and we capture or transfer water from other places uh we, we could get a water storage uh system which are now uh, would, would allow us to irrigate uh, without taking it from our licensed borehole Keith Otterson there, the clerk of the course from Newbury. David Yates is still with me. That doesn't sound great, Dave, does it? I mean, nowadays when trainers are so averse to running horses with the word firm in the description, well, they're going to be lucky to get any kind of a field for for the, the small field races, never mind the Betfair hurdle. Yeah, it, it's it's really unfortunate for Keith Otterson. Um, we're used to clerks of the course getting flack uh, from the training community, but what can he do? His hands really are tied in this case aren't they there's nothing that uh, he can do to apply water for the track it's drying out already and there is a very difficult forecast leading up uh, to the weekend he'll try and keep whatever moisture he can in but it's clearly going to be fast ground and it's clearly going to be um something of a of a hollow trials card at Newbury this Saturday I I, I feel for the for the um for the race course because I think that this is a um that they've had a, a few issues over the last few months remember the the fun fair during the um the coral gold cup meeting that perhaps they were issues of their own making but this is definitely uh a a, a a problem that's caused by nature they can't do anything about it but it'll be interesting to see what we got what we get in terms of cheltenham aspirants we're used to going to this meeting and and seeing quite a few horses that are um in our our mythical notebooks for the national hunt festival but there might be a good uh a good fewer in number this weekend all right, well, the most significant race in England this week might not even be at Warwick or Newbury at the weekend. It could even be at Huntingdon if you look at the entries for the Sydney Banks novices hurdle. They're very strong and they're headed by Rare Edition, who is a popular choice, particularly given what happened to Fasal Vega yesterday for the Supreme Novices at Cheltenham. He's also entered in the Ballymore as well. The Sydney Banks is over the intermediate distance of two and a half miles and the horse's trainer is Charlie Longson, who's with me now. Charlie, all systems go for Huntingdon? That's the plan. Yes, yeah. Look, 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 hopefully, I think they're warm days and cold nights, so it should be all alright. Um, but yeah, they're, they're very much looking forward to Thursday. Okay, you said you'd been taking him for some some schooling to try and slick up his jumping a little bit. Has that worked? Yeah, look, his jumping has always been very, very good. But just sometimes, you know, he's he's on if anything, he's on the slightly on the careful side. Um, and, and he went down to Marcus Foley's just down the road from us for a week and he did plenty of that and he's come back and he jumped very well here. Um, look, I think the, I think I think he looks touching what he's always jumped very well. So so yeah, just you know, if you're gonna go in a thing, something like a Supreme, you've got to be very, very quick with your jumping and he just wants to do a bit of brushing up, that's all. Um, you say you say that as though that's the way you're you're leaning at at this stage. Is that is that right? I think that probably is where we're leaning at this stage, yes. I mean I think a lot will tell us on they'll tell us a lot on Thursday, but I think I, yeah at the moment I think the supreme is the right angle of attack at the moment. Yes. What makes you think that? Um, just because he's a strong stayer, 
over to um, look. In long term, he will be. He will want two and a half. And I think. I just think at the moment, I'd, I'd probably rather keep him for two. But certainly, if it was on the slow side of good ground, at Cheltenham it would definitely be two. It, obviously, if it came up good ground, which I can't imagine it will do, despite this dry weather at the moment. And, you know, then you might think about two and a half more. But uh, yeah, we're very much leaning towards a two at the moment. And you look at the entries for the Sydney Banks. It looks a it looks a warm enough race to to tell you where you are with the horse anyway. Uh, yeah, God, it's extremely strong, extremely strong. You know, you've got the horse of Tom Lacey's, who's um, who came second. I think he came second in the Lemmings mm. Bob. He's, he's a good horse. Ginny's destiny, awesome. yeah. Yeah, and then Nichols' horse seems very good, and they're all decent, decent, decent horses there. Um, so look, we'll uh, we'll learn plenty. We'll learn plenty. And, and then Henderson, the Attica, but you know, he's, he he was very good at Cheltenham that day. So there's some there. Plenty. No matter what he runs against, they'll all be they'll be good horses. And if he gets beaten, that we we have to think again. Uh, did the eclipse of Fasal Vega give you more hope? I think Basel Vega didn't run didn't run his race yesterday. Um, but he's still an extremely good horse. I mean, Willie Mullins just pulls another one out of the hat. You know, when when Basel Vega gets beaten, he just replaces it with another one. In, in not just in that race, in any race. Um, look, it's yeah. Look, Basel Vega. I mean, I think he'll still be he's, he'll still be the horse to beat. Um, I'm sure Willie Mullins will have him correct on the day. But look, it was it was a blip yesterday for him, and um, I'm sure they'll get to the bottom of it. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks, Where are we at? We wonder with the with the gambling white paper. Um, I, I thought I would check in with Philip Davis, uh, MP, because you'll know Philip's position on the uh, all party uh, parliamentary group for for racing and bloodstock industries for a long time. Uh, he has a, a very uh, in depth knowledge uh, with the gambling industry. Uh, he's on the the board of the Racehorse Owners Association as well, so he's got a bit of a three sixty on this. And I need to know where we're at. Philip, where where are we going? Where are we at? What's a sort of timeline from from what you're gathering? <laughs> well, the, the the white paper's been weeks away for about two years now, so it's uh, it's always brief to put a time on it. But I think we are genuinely coming to a uh, a conclusion. I think we will see the white paper within a, a month or so. So I th- I think uh, we can safely say that um, we are into the final furlong now. So I've done the before Christmas. I've done the before Easter last year, Christmas the previous year. If I did a before Cheltenham now, I mean, you are a gambling man. So um, would that would that be okay before Cheltenham? I could back, I could back back that at short odds. Um, I wouldn't want to take too short a price, but I think it, that is the most likely outcome. Okay, I I wanted to know from your point of view. Um, what the best approach is in, in in circumstances like this? Because we've seen the Racing Post different and sometimes rather unexpected figure from the racing industry every day last week. It's sort of a uh, the, the horse racing industry now seems to be going for the whether it's through their their media outlets or or the governing body seems to be going sort of carpet bombing approach. Just get everyone on board and say, oh, affordability checks, affordability checks, and hope that all the noise permeates somehow. Is that the best approach, or is a more a more targeted approach at individual MPs or cabinet ministers a better a better way of going about things? What 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 would you do in this situation? I think you need to do all of all all of the above, really. I think the Racing Post have been doing a brilliant job, shining a light on the problem uh, that what, what's proposed with affordability checks will have, not just on the betting industry, uh, but also on horse racing as a sport and how it's funded. And I, I think they should be commended for what they've been doing. Um, but equally, I, I think people having a, a, a word in the ear of of, uh, of cabinet ministers, of the prime minister, of 
any minister they know is is also worthwhile. I think there's no there's no right or wrong way to uh, to lobby. I think you've just got to use whatever tools you've got. The, the media's been doing a a very good job, and um, and we all need to uh, speak up and and point out what damage. Um, overzealous affordability checks would have on um, on the sport that we love so uh, any method is uh, is effective uh, um, there are cabinet ministers who have connections with with horse racing as well i mean the, the prime minister's constituency is is midlam i mean it, it, it do you do you know whether he's a friend to racing particularly Rishi's a, a very, very much a supporter of horse racing. He's—I uh, he, know he has a very good relationship with a number of the trainers in in uh, Middlesbrough, as, as I'm sure that they will themselves testify. And so, um, you know, I, I'd certainly encourage them to um, to have a word with their local MP and um, and make the case to him directly, because uh, I, I do know that he values their opinion, and I know that he gets somewhat well with them. So, yes. Um, that would be certainly a very worthwhile thing for, for people in Midland to uh, to go and knock on the door of their local MP. It certainly wouldn't do any harm. Um, Paul Scully is the fifth gambling minister since the the announcement of a of a review uh, to to turn um, the regulation of gambling from from something analog to something digital or make gambling fit for a fit for a digital age. Um, is he doing a good job? I actually think he's doing a brilliant job, to be perfectly honest. I mean, he's he's literally been engaging with everybody, people, whatever their opinion, people who are campaigning against, uh, you know, people who are anti-gambling campaigners. He's been engaging with them. He's been engaging with the gambling industry, with the racing industry. He's been engaging with punters, which I've been particularly keen because all of these things are being done to punters and the punters, I think, have had the least say in what's going to happen to them, whereas this minister has actually made the effort to actually meet punters and, 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 and organise a meeting with them to hear their views. So I, th- I think he's doing a fantastic job at actually getting as many varied opinions as possible and I hope that that means he will come to a a very very sensible conclusion, but I've, I I cannot fault his uh, his engagement. And, and I, I realise there is a sort of a, a, perhaps a necessary element of project fear, to borrow a phrase, going on going on here. But but do you believe, through your links to the betting industry, that the betting industry is is alive to its its responsibilities to its own clients and its own customers? At this point, do you believe it is in a, in a um, an ethically robust enough position to go forward into into the next phase of this process? I think the gambling industry is very well aware of its responsibility to look after people who've got a problem and identify people who've got a problem and try and make sure that. Uh, people are stopped from having a problem and, and that their problem gambling is addressed. I think they're very, very much, um, I think they're very much aware of that responsibility and I think they are doing more than they've ever done in, in that regard. I mean, I'm very critical of, of, uh, of bookmakers uh, as it happens. I, I, I think the fact that they uh, restrict people's betting accounts to within an inch of their lives, if anyone might look as if they might ever win a, 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 f- a few pounds is shameful, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and I think they need to be much more customer-focused and, and, and much more on the side of punters than they actually are. So I'm, bookmakers are not without fault, and I'd certainly like the government to do something about um, making sure that they have to accept bets from people up to a certain level. Um, but I think in terms of helping people with with a, with with a problem, I think the bookmakers have never been more focused on it. I don't think they've ever done more, and I think that's reflected in the 
the, the figures of people who've got a gambling problem, which are the lowest that they've ever been. So I think that we, we can address people's problem gambling without basically treating every punter as if they're a problem gambler, which is what some people in the anti-gambling community would like to see happen. Just, just that's quite interesting. I, you say you think that the government could actually bring in a situation where they mandate uh, bookmakers to to lay bets up to a up to a certain up to a certain amount. Is, is that something you'd you'd favour? I, I absolutely would favour that. They do something very similar to that in Australia. Um, I mean, if you if you go to a race course for years and years and years, uh, you see an on course bookmaker will have a little sign on their board saying we lay any horse to lay up to a certain figure and. That was always the case that they had to have that figure, and if they didn't, you could go to the ring inspector and make sure that that was honoured. And I don't see any reason why it shouldn't apply to makers off course the same way. And I, I think that uh, the way that punters have been treated by bookmakers, where bookmakers basically want 100% of their, their uh, punters to lose, um, is is I think it's terrible for the gambling industry. Um, and I think it's shameful, to be perfectly honest. So I, I would very much get the government of something uh, about that and make sure that punters get a far better deal than they are at the moment from bookmakers. All right, Philip, thanks so much for your thoughts, as always. Um, and I look forward to seeing the white paper, uh, I don't know, what, before the Cheltenham 2025, something like that? <laughs> it will happen at some point. I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it will happen before Cheltenham this year, but uh, you would have gone skint betting on it happening in a few weeks, many times over. So, um, and, 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 and you'll have needed to find someone to lay you the bet anyway. So, <laughs> Yes, exactly, absolutely. All right, Philip, thanks so much. Cheers. All right, my thanks to Philip Davis and to all my guests today. David Yates, listening to that. Um, Yates, a couple of quite interesting things there. I mean, first, the importance of of you know targeting your your lobby effort judiciously and and knowing where the where the power is and where you might be close to it. But I, I was particularly struck and not really expecting what Philip Davis was saying about the responsibilities of bookmakers to to lay bets to a, to a re, to a reasonable degree at least, rather as is in the case in Australia. Not something I was expecting a uh, an MP to say, particularly not one who has, you know, quite quite strong uh, allegiances to the gambling industry. Yeah, indeed, um, I, I agree with you. I, I was uh, my ears pricked up when I heard that. Um, I, I must say, I I don't agree with Philip Davis about everything, um, but in this case, I think we do find an accord. It, that is a, a particularly um, frustrating aspect of of one's relationship. Uh, with bookmakers, I don't mean one. I mean lots of people. When you you go to have a bet and you're you're limited to some uh, pretty paltry stakes, and that's not because the bookmaker um, wants to uh, look after your financial affairs. It's just simply because they don't want to lay uh, those horses in the book. And so, yeah, I I, I certainly agree with that. Um, with the white paper. We've we've been here before, haven't we? It, it it seems to be the train that never comes. It'd be interesting to see if it uh, if it were to arrive uh, before Cheltenham. I, I I agree with the lobbying. Um, I, I feel that just in the in the sense, the last few uh, last couple of weeks with the Racing Post, we've had different uh, different luminaries from horse racing echoing the same thing and i think that that's become something of a law of diminishing returns we had nikki henderson last week and if 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 nikki henderson is an is, is an expert on um on affordability checks and and what they do to punters then you know i'm i'm mr universe uh 
So I agree. I think that that racing and and different sections of our industry could be a bit cuter when it comes to lobbying. And as I say, I'm I'm in full accord with what he said about bookmakers laying bets. All right. Do you have a tip for me for this afternoon? I do indeed. It's in the 4.15 race at Carlisle this afternoon. It's the happy birthday, Tony and Nora Wooden handicap chase and, and happy birthday uh, to both Tony and Nora. And it's number 10, Patient Owner, a horse who didn't hit the target over hurdles, but did enough over fences first time at Utoxta on New Year's Eve, a second to the Lion Dancer, the third and the fourth have won subsequently. A two pound nudge up the weights, I hope, won't prevent my selection from going one better. 4.15 race at Carlisle, selection is number 10, patient owner all right dave thanks so much thank you very much for listening lovely day here that was the 6th monday the 6th of february we'll see you again tomorrow bye bye you've been listening to nick luck daily brought to you in association with fitzdares the racehorse owners association and thoroughbred racing commentary